Hi, this is Chris Baldwin, a.k.a. Fight Goddess with Skull Combat Sports Equipment, and you are listening to Eddie Goldman with No Holds Barred. Hi, my name is Melissa Smith from GirlBoxing.org, and I'm listening to No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman. Everyone around the world, once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. On this edition of the show, we once again spoke with our colleagues Chris Baldwin of The War Room and Melissa Smith of Girl Boxing on The War Room. A video of this discussion has also been posted on the War Sports YouTube page. Our guest was boxer, actor, and activist Kaylee Reese, who holds the WBA and WBO 140-pound belts. We spoke with them by Zoom Monday, June 6. Besides discussing her boxing career, we discussed her film Catch the Fair One, for which she was nominated for the prestigious International Spirit Award for Best Actor. In it, she portrayed a Native American boxer who risked her own life to enter the world of sex trafficking to find her missing sister. Here, is that discussion. Welcome back to the War Room, my beautiful people and fight fans from all around the world. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I am here with my co-host today, Melissa Smith, my sister. She's a women's boxing historian and my boy, Eddie Goldman. He is an award-winning sports journalist. And today we have in the house, Kaylee Reese, She's the one and only current reigning WBA, WBO, and IBO Unified Junior Welterweight Women's Boxing Champion. Now, outside of her boxing life, Reese is the co-writer and the star of the independent award-winning film, Catch the Fair One. You guys need to see it. it's on Amazon, for which she was nominated for the prestigious International Spirit Award for Best Acting. The film explores the all too real issue of the growing stream of abducted and trafficked Native American women. In the film, Reese plays a Native American boxer who embarks on the fight of her life when she goes in search of her missing sister. Working alongside director and co-writer Joseph or Josef Wally, that, oh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, to craft a searing personal journey to Helen Bag. I apologize to Joseph for screwing up his name. We are so pleased to have you in the war room with us today, Kaylee. Let's talk about the important work you do as an advocate for the American women, uh, Native American women, and of course, a little bit about boxing. But today we're going to talk all about Catch the Fair One. Welcome to the show. The Butney, thank you so much. <laughs> Greetings. Um, Nasasuis Mikoninog, Nutamaz, Sikonke Mapanaak, Nutamaz Nipmuk, Nutamaz Cherokee, Nutamaz Cape Verde Islands, Natai Providence, Rhode Island, which means greetings. Good day, everybody. I am from the Sikonkwanoeg tribe. My given name is Many Feathers and Many Talents. I also represent and have lineage from the Nipmuk and Cherokee tribes, as well as a rich lineage from the Cape Verde Islands, 
located off the West Coast of Africa. And I'm so happy to be up in this room. Right. So beautiful. That is just amazing. Let's talk about, you know, how did you, it, it sounded like a personal story. I just rewatched the film today because it moved me. It, it, it touched. There's just so much to unpack in that film. And if you are a woman, you probably know some woman because my wife had a cousin who's been missing for years. A girl walked out the house and she, they've never seen her since. So uh, let's talk about this uh, sex trafficking and how so many Native American women went missing without not one story on, in the media, on the news, and how you're going to bring how you brought that to light. So, you know, um, MMIW or a missing and murdered indigenous woman, now that we have, you know, social media and hashtags, wasn't something that was, you know, has been known. However, it's something of our women and our people have been targeted since the dawn of colonialism. So that's just a, a common theme and a somber theme so many Native American indigenous people, not just of Turtle Island, which we consider Canada and North America, but indigenous to any land that you go to around the world. So. It's one thing to have a sovereign nation, which we're has sovereign nations, Freddie, we recognize. And people think that because you're a sovereign native tribe, you have casinos, everything's all, you know, rainbows and butterflies, but it's not like that. Our women have been targeted and our women and our people, not just women, there's girls, there's older women, there's babies as young as two or three, oh. there's older women, 75, 80 years old, there's young boys, there's men that get targeted and they get stolen from us every single day. This is not something that we're trying to make a huge big deal because it already is a big deal. The mm. problem is media is not making it a big deal. I have alerts on my phone and apps that I follow and I get phone calls, I get text messages about somebody else going missing. And you know, amongst the Native American community or Indian country or the indigenous community, we know our problems, just like because I'm also Afro-Indigenous, we know our problems in the Black community. However, mainstream media doesn't really highlight that. Mainstream media for a lot of things, and we won't get into that, only puts out what they want you to see. But one white girl goes missing in America, and it's on CNN, NBC, ABC, ESPN, Comedy Center, it's on everything. And I'm not saying, and I have nothing, and a life is a life, and it's no one should get their life taken. But when you want to take our culture, you you told us we couldn't speak our language. You mm. stole our people and had them mixed here. You took our land. You want to take, 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 but not give thanks to the people who you got it from and then try to pretend to be one and take ancestry calm thing and say you have 1% Cherokee. We are the indigenous people of the land and it's not something to be taken lightly because we know our ancestors knew how to live off of the land indigenous to where our people come from. So our women, it's just one of those things and speaking from an indigenous woman personally, the genetic genocide and the, and the generational trauma that gets passed down genetically mm. through our is so something that's so eerily familiar when I go visit different communities and I've never met these people in person, but a lot of times, I'm not speaking for everybody, but we have this almost like, I'm sorry for existing, kind of like, I don't want to be seen. And it's just something that kind of go coincides with our women being, our people being targeted. It's something that's just been learned behavior. And we have remote areas like reservations um, where we, they, like I say we, but Native American tribes, they have their sovereign nation, they have their own police, they have their own judicial system. It's almost a double standard because you get run into the, the problem of jurisdiction. If you're not native and you commit a, a crime on native land, the native police cannot charge you with a crime. So then it gets really, it gets really 
messy. Like I, this is a this is, gets really really messy. It's um it's ridiculous. And when people know this, they'll go on reservations, take our women, take our people, do what they want, and dump them all around. And mm. you know, our residential school kids and bodies that have been found in mass graves. We're in now like the twelve thousands of of these kids that were in these residential schools. Then you have pipelines. And then you have MMIW, they all are synonymous with one another because when you build pipelines, what do you need to build pipelines? You need a lot of manpower, which cause man camps in remote areas where there's native land being dug through sacred native land. So I just do my my diligence. Um, you know, I come from a long line of warriors. I can tell you exactly where I come from, my clan, war chief, and I have a platform and I always got taught as a child, if you have a voice, speak for the people who can't speak. If you if you can dance and your elders can't dance. My grandmother couldn't dance anymore. Even though I didn't want to get in the circle, I wanted to go play and climb trees. You dance for those people who can't dance. You fight for those who can't fight. So I'm in boxing. I have a lot of eyes on me. There's a different kind of crowd. You know, Native people are not, we're the something else people of here. So I'm so proud of my, all my heritage. So I just want to share that number one, kind of I found that journey later on in my career, but this was something that is so, it's so ridiculously bad and so so underplayed that it's it's amazing to even talking about it. So I just thought it was my due diligence when people ask what I am and I have a crowd and I'm fighting on HBO when I'm 1.4 million people. I'm gonna speak about what's going on so people can just start talking about it and make That's it a right. problem. Because that's right. Um, I in the film I, I see that you know was that your partner with you that was doing the training part in the beginning. That is Shelly Vincent, and that is my little brother, sister. Homie. That was Shelly Vincent, because I was like, that face looked familiar, but Shelly was on point. Yeah, that was on point. Right. I love that. I love that. Uh, um, Melissa, I want to hand it over to you. You go ahead and uh, well, ask yeah, your question. I mean, Shelly is a lover. She is my heart. I, she is my heart. I can't help but love her. I mean, she's I, I, amazing. She really is my heart. She is so gracious with her time and her energy, even though she, it's she so had me pumped her. up. <laughs> she has so much trauma in her life. But what 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 strikes me? I mean, I, I've been following your journey for a long while. In a way, I came to you through Shelley because you started boxing and you know i know that whole little click in there in new hampshire i mean in, in rhode island and massachusetts um and um i i was always struck by how even early in your career you, you were a road warrior i mean you traveled to spain you traveled out anywhere you could and you always fought up not down and i always appreciated that about you um because it, it did show your warrior spirit before I really even understood that that's who you were as a human. But in the film, um, I was also struck by how vulnerable you were and how stripped down you were. And I just, you had talked just before about sort of this generations of this in the DNA at this point of trauma. And I was wondering how you were able to connect to that to bring such verisimilitude to your role and to what it costs you for that portrayal? Well, I had the opportunity of getting on this project with Joseph. His last name is Vladika, Kubota Vladika. Trust me, I've messed it up many times. Um, very early on, and I got to give so much 
props and love to him because he's such a creative and talented filmmaker and he knows he wants to tell these stories that are important but he was very very connected in the fact that it wasn't his story to tell so he really just wants to know the the community and then he found me through boxing kind of fast forward um we got to build this character Kaylee from the ground up and even Brick, like Brick could not have been anybody else but Shelly. You know, every every color, every character, I had a huge creative influence into it. I didn't physically write it, but he wanted to make sure the story was told right. Um, and after just sitting down with me, he caught me at a really vulnerable time um, when he just, back in 2017, my brother had just passed away a few months prior to that from brain cancer and boxing was our thing. And I trained him. He was in remission for eight years because I was helping him train. He got his coordination back and everything. But he had just passed away. So I was in a really vulnerable state. So I really just told my story on video. And he, he has an artistic eye. He saw whatever he saw and saw whatever he wanted to create. Um, so we took a lot of things from my real life, i.e. the name. She's a boxer. She's Cape Verdean and native. But we left it. I really want to make it non-tribal specific. Um, and not area specific because of the due fact that this happens everywhere. It doesn't happen just in New York where we, where we filmed it, although it's very prominent there. It happens everywhere. And we had to make sure it wasn't your typical villains. It was the guys next door that had families. So for me to dive into that, it was very, very close to home. Um, I've experienced um, not close as a sister, but relatives from other sister tribes that have gone missing at 18 years old and, and got found in the same state I was fighting in for a world title that day. Um, and I know from doing what I can do to visit these different communities and be a part of different MMIW functions to not only tell my story, but to really sit down and not say a word, just listen and really um, try to inspire some kind of hope or just really know what needs to be changed. And everything I have found out up until um, when I met Joseph, we just basically shared it back and forth. And he just like a lot of people just found out about MMIW was learning about the highway tears. So personally, I really had to, um, I knew visually that I could look the part of a strong person. You know, you could put me in a Fast and Furious movie, not say a word, hold a gun. We know she's strong, but it was really important for the visual to be strong. But you, I just, we just wanted everybody to feel her vulnerability, her sense of loss, depression, sense of rage, also that kind of undertone. Um, it was very cathartic to get through because again, she's a boxer, she's Kaylee. And I see these and hear these stories all the time. But just like my boxing, I was going to tell this story by any means necessary. And if that meant, you know, running through a train yard at almost below temperature for 14 hours, or just like when I don't feel like going to the gym, it's like, why do you fight? Why do you do this? It was one of those things that I had the opportunity to represent a community that's way underrepresented, not only Native Americans, but Black and Native is so underrepresented. And this MIW epidemic, we just wanted to really take something like a genre film and get an artistic interpretation of it. So it was um, a learning experience, bittersweet, because I had to kind of say goodbye to the character Kaylee, but um, I knew, I know those feelings personal. So I, this was my first time acting. And I will tell you right now, actors aren't good liars. That everything that she felt in that, every scene is I really felt that. So it was just, you know, she was a woman of few words. You could probably write, write on one page everything she said. So it was really important for us to make the audience feel what she feels. So I really had to get in the body language and just kind of do what, how I, how I thought the character would do things and, and make the audience, the audience, bring the audience into, into her world.
Did you have to take uh, acting lessons? Because you, that was an amazing first time performance. Thank you so much. Um, I didn't take acting le lessons. I don't do anything subtly. I'm telling you, right? I get thrown into everything, but I can handle it. So it's cool. Um, you know, Joseph's really talented. So he kind of gave me his knowledge about film industry and what he knew. And we do goofy little acting things, but it was like a two year collaboration with no acting wow. class, fighting, working, raising a stepchild, all that. Wow. And then right after my fight in 2019, right before we shot, he wanted to add just a little bit of fine tuning. So he hooked me up with now she's still my acting coach uh, by the name of Sheila Gray out of mm -hmm. New York me to like a week boot camp we, we laugh about it now i'm like dude you threw me to like the trenches she is a old crazy jew from the upper east side is an amazing human being but she's worked with i won't even name drop she worked with a crib but i but she taught me so much and i was able to hop in improv classes and work one-on-one -on -one just for like a week and and i did it to the best of my ability to for what i knew then right well, I, yeah i, I just want to add one thing to what you said, uh, Kaylee, earlier about the uh, the media covering these stories, I would add that not only the media, but perhaps more importantly, the schools. Now, a lot has changed since I was in school, but I'm someone when I was in high school, I was in AP history. I got a BA in history from Columbia, have another advanced degree in magazine publishing. They never mentioned any of these types of things, period. Now, maybe that was a long time ago, so maybe some of that has changed today, but we see moves such as DeSantis in Florida and Abbott in Texas and other places. They don't want to teach any of these stories. They don't want to teach anything about white supremacy and suppression and of uh, Native American and First Nations people and abduction of the women that you're talking about, any of these types of things. They don't want to, they, they want to keep the young people in the schools from having this knowledge and therefore they could act on this knowledge. And, you know, when you're a young person in school, you may take it more or less seriously depending on a whole lot of situation and you just sort of try to get through school and you know, not flunk out and do well and all that. And you don't necessarily question the, the curriculum, but the people running this are very conscious about distorting and, and bleaching out these stories, which is why it's even doubly so important to use whatever media that we have to, to get them out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as a kid in school, you're very impressionable. So I mean, I got, I didn't, I used to not, not stand up for Pledge of Allegiance. I didn't go to like a native school. I grew up in the city. So it was like, you know, Cape Verdeans, Portuguese, some Spanish, couple of black, but, and then you had to be the token Indian in the class when they want to talk about Thanksgiving. But I was like, no, you guys need to know the real story. Like that you're talking about my people, my nation, Wampanoag, that's what I am. So the school system, that's a whole nother podcast because they need to start teaching the real history. You know, as me personally, not speaking for all Native people, but for the majority of us, we just want acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of what happened, fix it and move forward. It's not like we want to hold everything in the past, but y'all acting like you don't even know what this country is built on. Like right. that's 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 a kick in the face. And then again, you want to you want to take our clothes, our, our this, our that, and everything, our kids, and you want to claim this and wear this for 
you want our mascots. You want every mascot in every state is an Indian or a warrior or something. And to do like it's ridiculous. But you don't want to acknowledge and, and respect the people that you took everything from. I can go. I can go hard, but we're gonna have to do another one about that. So on your on the reservations, uh, is the school system run by the government, uh, the native tribal uh, government, or the U.S. government? So when you're federally like, recognized, you're recognized by the by the country, and you have federal funds available to you. So you also have your own judicial system. You have your policing, fire department, educational system as well. So everything's in house. However, they might have other curriculum that is kind of like your basic standard elementary school system. However, um, something like the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe, they're federally recognized. So the Wampanoag nation is huge, just like the Navajo nation, but we also have about nine different bands or clans. And the Mashpee Wampanoag, they have, they teach their language, our Algonquin original language in school. So they grow up learning the language, learning how to count in the language, try to include the culture and even a couple of schools that I've been to, to um, like the Lower Brule in South Dakota, you know, their school teaching the curriculum is way different than regular school. They go to games class, which is you you play old traditional native games. You go to language class where you can only speak Lakota or Dakota in the class. And it was like, they got basic reading skills and math, but they were, it's, it's like a third world. Some, some reservations are so remote. It's like a third world, but it's like a whole different world when you're amongst a community that keeps their culture. I think that is so important. Of course, know how to function in the today's world, but to know what your ancestors did and how they played and lived off the area, they, it's so much of a, of a connection, but it's so it's also so broken as well. Absolutely. And when you talk about cross-generational grief and trauma, you know, some white people don't understand that, right? Because they've been the oppressors. And they don't understand that our trauma is passed through our DNA. I know I always wondered when I grew up, why do black men seem so defeated? I would go, you know, I lived in the middle class. My parents were both professionals. So we, I went to private school and that type of thing. But when I would go visit my cousins, they lived in the hood, you know, and it was like, why? I didn't understand that. Why or do they seem so defeated? But now I get it. Now mm-hmm. I understand it. So what you're doing a wonderful thing. Tell us about all the positive things your uh, organization is doing. Are you with, you're with an organization that's uh, uh, advocating on behalf of Native American women, correct? No, I'm not part of any organization. I guess I am the organization. You are the organization. I, I guess. I just try to, so I'm still an active fighter. I have this new acting career in like my personal life. So I am really huge on sharing information, anything, especially right. social media necessary evil even though i'm like off social media right now but i am on a little bit just to keep up with my content if people i can reel them in with some boxing and they can keep sharing different things that they didn't know especially during native american heritage month or mw awareness day or indigenous people's day Mm. just pumping information i still learn stuff i did this people have this misconception that if you're indian or you're native american that I'm the same as the um, Saquon natives in, in San Diego, um, California. Nah, indigenous by definition is I'm indigenous to the people that lived here and that's where I'm from. I'm not even, I live in South Philly now in Jersey area too. This is not my territory. This is not my land. This is my ancestors didn't come from here. Right. They came from So um, that's another thing I'm trying to break the stereotype as well, being in front of a you know, camera on interviews or um, in a movie or a boxing, like, 
we we don't live on res all don't live on reservations. I didn't grow up on one. We all don't have casinos. We all don't have a uh, drinking problem. However, addiction is something that is also a reaction to um, generational trauma. It's it's that it, it's so real. Energy is real. Like even past, present, or current. If somebody's sad about the dog got hit by a car and they're just distraught and you're sad because the paper you just wrote just deleted like 50 page that frequency of anger or sadness is going to be the same doesn't matter how you get there but that right. is down that's amazing but you also um you know you have the the level of also being cape verdean being african and living in a very interesting community of cape verdeans and having colorism is also kind of a an extra layer to what you're doing. Do you find that working through that in your work as a Native American advocate also has an educational aspect to it or has a, an impact or has trauma that you have to work through as part of that exercise? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't always an open book. Um, I do come from a family of five youngest, uh, my father, the mother got divorced in and out of my life. Um, you know, stepbrothers, stepsisters, everything. And again, I didn't grow up on a reservation. I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, which is very, very Portuguese, Italian, Cape Verdean and past Connecticut. I don't even think people know what a Cape Verdean is. You know what I mean? So that education, um, just being biracial in a sense where I'm not black enough because I look Spanish. I'm not Cape Verdean enough because I don't speak it. I'm not native enough because I don't look like Pocahontas and you think I'm Asian and black, you know, it was like, it took me and it's still taking, you know, everybody's a work in progress, just trying to find my footing. Um, also from, you know, being from a two spirit from the sexuality point standpoint and coming from a household where my mom was a Christian. So I had to work through a lot of my own stuff before I can even try to, I was never trying to motivate. Ever. I wasn't trying to be an inspiration. I found healing in being very extremely vulnerable in telling my story. And then people started responding to it. And I'm like, well, here I am in all my like glory. This is what happened. And ta-da, kind of a thing. But I started getting responses. And it really started when I work started working with um troubled youth, um, teenage girls ages 11 to whenever they don't remember my number, because I still get mm -hmm. phone calls. Hey. Um I never, I, I was, I was one of those girls may not have the same story, but I know where they are. I was just trying to be who I wish I had at that age and just letting them come to me and trying to be relatable or just being relatable. They responded to me a lot better than they responded to the therapist person. I was trying to do like buy book stuff. They're trying, they're ripping this person's office apart they're kicking this one getting in fights but i go in their room close the door and they're sobbing and fine and i'm their favorite staff so i kind of built off that and then i found healing in you know social media telling my story then getting asked to go to different communities tell my story so inadvertently trying to heal my well kind of share myself i found being vulnerable which is so scary actually helped me heal because i found the reaction from people thinking that wow, I'm not the only one that feels like that. Wow, she's been through that too. And then having the response and then seeing them change and make a difference, it just was inspiring to me. And it kind of, I get so much gratitude. I, I just, it fills me with so much joy to see people heal by hearing something that they can relate to me. And that's kind of how this weird, I guess, organization kind of manifested itself into. Famifesting, we call that famifesting.
There you go. <laughs> Is well, there any? Go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say, and it's the anecdote in a way to what generational pain is, is it's acknowledging it to begin with, whatever yeah. those aspects are, those trans, those, and affirming it through your own positive influence. Um, and then as you say, being vulnerable and that, I can tell you, you know, 67, turning 68, it's still hard to yeah, be it's, vulnerable. It's, it's hard. I um, but I, I don't play chess for a profession. I get punched in the face. I, you know what I mean? It's just kind of, I guess it's in, it's in my, it's in my, in my genes. Um, so, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't ask for a, I guess a better purpose. Right. Well, this is an, a serious, intense purpose and it's inspiring. Your film was inspiring to me. Um, I loved that it was, I hated the ending. I kind of loved and hated the ending at the same time, but because I've always wanted to make one of these vigilante movies where, you know, like the lesbian crew just comes through and blast them all to hell, you know? <laughs> so that, that satisfied me in that regard, like, you know, but um, was it difficult? Like, is, how long did that film take to make? You said you guys did that in like uh, below freezing temperature weathers and that was shot in New York. Girl, we shot in Buffalo, New York in November, December. It was horrible, but um, it was a 20-day uh, We made a multi-million dollar looking movie without right. having that kind of scene. And I got to give it to Joseph and the producers and the DP. Like, Joseph, is he learned so much doing TV. Like, time is of the essence. And he's very organized. You know, he's Japanese and Polish. Very, He's a Virgo. He's just like me. So we have to have things in line. And, um, yeah, we shot in 19 days. I lived up there for a month That's and a incredible. half. And it was, it was, and I was in every scene. So I was hitting 12, 18-hour days every day. However, I treated it just like a, um, a boxing camp right. fight. You know, right. the last day was fight night. And it was brutal. Um, but, you know, I'm used to having my back against the wall. I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable. I'm always put in un uncomfortable situations. I'm getting older now, so I embrace it. Um, but I always just try to fight it. You know what I mean? So it was it was fun. I learned a lot. The crew, the cast was amazing. I mean, I got to work with so, so many wonderful seasoned actors that were so welcoming and warming because this is not my community yet. You know, I'm new here, so I don't want to step on any toes, but... I learned so much from, from the first day to the last day. I could even see myself evolving, which was awesome. So it was a That's good experience. Cool. How do you want to balance the acting and the boxing? Because both are very demanding and time consuming, at least for certain periods of time, as you, as you indicated with, you know, people that have ever done films or TV know the amount of time it takes to, to devote to that on each particular day. How do you want to balance those two at this point? Well, I'm going on almost 14 years as a professional. Um, I'm 35 years old. I'm just going to be 36. I've accomplished way more than anybody even knew I would. And I've proved a lot of people, including myself, wrong. I still have some work to do with boxing. But when I started, I didn't want to go past like 36, 37. This was just an arbitrary number I had in my head when I first started, like 20 years ago. But, um, you know, I've seen boxing change so much since I started to now where it's, it is and where it's headed. I'm just so appreciative of being a part of it. And now to enter in another entertainment business and stumble upon a talent I didn't even know I had. And 
being a storyteller, which is, as you said, Melissa, it's important to um, kind of being vulnerable and telling your story. That's just how my ancestors, that's how we learn things. We are natural storytellers and having the opportunity to tell my story through the boxing ring and now through, you know, tell our stories or just tell stories and be a, a familiar face amongst my community to see this face or see other native roles and non-native roles because they're good actors, not because they need to check a box and make sure right. they have a native black person and a, a gay person. Okay, we checked all the boxes. I want people to know who we are now. Like we're, if y'all haven't seen Reservation Dogs, please watch it because it's hilarious and it's how we truly are. Um, you know, right now I'm, I'm taking it in stride and, you know, I do auditions all week. I have a team, I have representation, I have agent and a manager for um, acting and I have obviously a whole team for boxing right now. Um, but I'm just going to take it how it comes right now. We have, we have a plan with the boxing. However, getting to the, I'm sure you're going to ask about this, my health issues that kind of caught up to me right now. I don't even have a date for the undisputed fight right now because honestly, the things that I should have taken care of years ago um, has kind of caught up with, with me in my last two fights. But as you know, I'm the type that goes, all right, when, cool, I'm a BI, I'll figure it out. And I figured it out the last two fights. However, at this level, undisputed fight, I can't be 50% again. So to answer your question, I'm going to take it how it goes. I don't plan on boxing for the next 20 years. It's not forever. Um, I'll be involved in some capacity. I love commentating. I help my husband manage. I help him train. I love boxing. Um, but if I don't have to throw any more punches in like four years, I'm not going to be mad at it. Right. Are you coaching anybody right now? You got anybody in your uh, wings that you, you want to bring up? I do have um, one fighter, uh, well, my uh, my husband does that. I don't help her coach, but I'm kind of help mentoring. She's absolutely a doll. Um, her name is Leanna Cruz. She has zero amateur experience, but that girl at one, she fights at 115 or 118, 115. Um, I don't know where her boxing spirit came from because the girl can fight. She's feisty, she can fight, and she's a good study, and she's such a sweetheart. But I also help train Ebony Bridges. That is my homie. I love we her to saw death. That. Yep, yep. We've been, we've been training her That's for the great. past. She made the um, permanent move to the UK, and she's in such good hands with Tibbs. I absolutely love right. him. She's improved much. Um, but she knows mom and pa always got the door open in Philly. And um, she won't fight without us in her corner. Um, for this next camp, probably uh, Brian will be going there for a week or so. If I have an opportunity, I'll go there for a week or so because she's an, another sponge. She hits like a grown man that did like a 30-year bid. like, And she's wow. just a love. And, and she um, she's worked so hard to get where she's at. So those two, those are my two. And I, and I got to say, Jessica Kamara, because she, that's the last person I fought. I'm so glad that we had that war and it was her because now the world gets to see such an awesome person and a great fighter. She's fighting actually this Friday at the Turning Stone. Anywhere I can help her in her career is a friend of mine. She's not uh, a new fighter, but she's a new face and she has so much room to grow. So those, those, those are my three little projects. You're right on. I love to hear that. That's what I'm talking about. Melissa? And, and, and yeah, I was just going to say, and being and, and having Jessica Kamara uh, at Turning Stone during uh, this huge upcoming, you know, International Boxing Hall of Fame weekend, where it's the biggest event for women's boxing because the first three classes of women are being inducted into the Hall of Fame 2020, 2021, and 2022. 
So that's extraordinary. So, and every year being able to fight at the turning stone on the card for that weekend, it's the best. So that's fantastic about Jessica. So congratulations to the two of you, to you and Brian for all the work you're gonna put in for that. Absolutely, thank you. Excited for her and see like she's, she's such a hard worker and she's gotten herself where she needs to. And it's almost like, you know, we, it's, it sucks for him that we had a fight, but she's in really good hands. She, I love her trainer, Ian. So I just can't wait to see where she goes because she can go from 130 to 140. There's so many different ways she can go. She's right in the mix. So I'm excited to see her put some damage on this girl. Hey, you know, a lot of people don't know about your uh, injuries. You had an injury or something that kept you out at 50%? Yeah. So um, what's the shortest end of it? So um, – <laughs> trying to think of the shortest end because it's very very complex it's not like i broke my ankle have to get surgery and then i'll be back i wish it was that simple so when i was 21 i got diagnosed with premature ovarian failure and i went into menopause and i was just didn't have couldn't have children um so it took from that aspect number one from being a woman and know that i you know we're on this earth to procreate if we can and that's our job especially being a, a wampanoag woman that wants to very desperately pass on my lineage to hear that that was devastating that was that that was mentally it was a lot at that age and the, the doctors didn't know why it took me a couple of years to get through yeah that um i didn't have obviously i didn't have a cycle for up to about nine and a half almost 10 years and then it came back Doctors were like, uh, yeah, we don't know. Um, uh, everything looks fine. Your blood looks for blood works look you're fine. It's weird. You're weird, which I might is a technical medical term, I guess. So for the first couple of years, I was, you know, I was fine going my merry way. And at the time I had I was with um my my ex-fiance and I was helping her raise her her daughter. And you know, we were kind of like, all right, well, you can have the kids, I keep boxing, I don't have to stop, kind of a thing. Um, but the last two years it got weird. It got even more weird. I was having more frequently heavy. I was like for a prolonged period of time and my energy level was dropping. And I'm like, this is just, you know, maybe it's because I, it's longer than usual, but I didn't really say anything. I didn't tell the whole 2021, um, we had Ebony here in Philly training her. I was training as well. And just the kid, we train like dogs. And I'm like, I just, my energy's dropping. And I was, wasn't trying to lose the weight, but I was getting to 140 way too quick. And I'm used to fighting at 54, 47, 60. And I was getting down to four. I'm like, what is this? But didn't say nothing. Um, fast forward all the way to the last fight this last year. Everything's been off. I've had prolonged cycles that would last me at least 20 to 30 days and then stop and then come again and then spotting in between. And then my energy levels were crazy. I was in London for the um, Cameron Mary McGee fight, and I was the only one at 140 walking around at weight, and I wasn't even fighting until a month kind of a thing. It was just really things were weird. But I kept my mouth shut because I'm like, number one, I fought so long to get in this opportunity. I'm here fighting for world titles, main events. I'm fighting, making some money. We're making waves. We got all these fights. I don't want to say I can't fight. I'll figure it out. So by round four of Jessica Mara fight, when I tell you it, it, my energy just got sucked out of my, you could see, you can see the fight. I looked up at that round core girl and she was holding round four. I was like, Lord, I don't know how, but I'm going to figure I need to get through this. Prior to that fight, I had been bleeding for three and a half weeks. And that morning of the fight, it was so heavy. I was so drained. Um, and I gave my husband a heart attack, but I pulled it out because I'm a veteran and I know how important those last two rounds are. But he said at the, the after the fight, he's like, yo, you are not fighting again until we figure out what's wrong. 
So I've been since December. Um, I live in South Philly. However, my doctor's in Rhode Island. So I have to drive five hours every time I need to go to a doctor. So I would drive to my mom's house, get all these tests done. Went to my primary care doctor. She sent me somewhere else. Went to a gynecologist. She found my menopausal levels were really high. My follicle levels were really low, but I was still having a cycle all the time. She sent me to another person. She didn't know. Now I ended up at an endocrinologist. They have a team of people. I've had a number of procedures um, and all kinds of try this, take this. We got to have you do this. They're trying to narrow it down right now. I have a, a thyroid issue. Um, also a GI issue, which I had to go get procedures for that, that we were trying to narrow it down as far as what autoimmune system initially attacked my ovaries and shut my system down as I was 21 and why it's coming, why it's trying to wake up. So needless to say, it's not something that's, um, they can't figure it out yet. We're trying to, we're narrowing it down. This is probably the closest I've been to an answer. Um, but as far as energy wise, and like there's times where I just have a cycle for really long and all I want to do is sleep. I can't train. I'm tired. It's just a lot on me. And I will not do that to number one, myself, my family to boxing. Cause I'm not going to show up to an undisputed fight at 50% to collect a check. I don't, I don't operate like that. I'm not made like that. And I will not do that to my opponent either. I wouldn't do that to Chantel Cameron. We have mutual respect. She's a champion for a reason. And I want to bring the best me cause she's going to bring the best her. So we have the ability to say, hold up, let's figure it out and move from there and then we'll see what we'll see what happens but honestly my health is a lot more important than some undisputed belts i'm not going to do that anymore because i saw my husband almost die in that corner <laughs> i don't want to do that right. again stressful yeah. stressful I, I, I would just add if you need doctors uh in philly and this is a very general thing not a specific thing there's a list called super doctors that's compiled by other doctors it's not a, one of these lists that you you buy your way onto i have like a bunch of doctors too that are on that list and you look on that list by a uh, region and specialty and you know if you need somebody locally you may be able to find somebody there so that's just sort of a general general recommendation superdoctors.com okay i'm gonna i'm actually writing that down right now um, cause that would actually help because not only is this kind of a lot to deal with, but I have to like, they want me to come in the next two days to get another procedure. So I got to pack my stuff up and go mm -hmm. drive through it. Yeah. Drive back. There's good university hospitals in Philly too. I mean, world-class. Yeah. So they have, especially for endocrinology. So yeah, they have to be the direction. Yeah. They have really like top of the line, um, doctors here. The problem is my health insurance is still in Rhode Island. So in the middle, gotcha. got married in November, actually a week after the fight. So, and nothing's really converted over. So it's like, I kind of got a no. half a dozen in a six together. You know You're what I stuck. mean? I got you. I, got you. <laughs> I was just going to also add, I, I saw a clip of an interview with, um, you know, women's, women's fight news with Eddie Hearn talking about this, you and Chantel and how he's waiting, you know, there he's, he's got it. So that was that was heartening to hear him on camera say that that he's in your corner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 one of those things where I was I don't ever make excuses. I never want an injury to be an excuse. I just say, you know, it, it was my night. It wasn't my night. It is what it is, and move on. And I was, you know, debating on being public with this because it's very it's very personal. However, I don't mind sharing. I didn't want to make it look like and it was an excuse. However, you know, people like to 
talk. So I'm like, all right, now I'm going to shut everybody up. The reason why is because of this, not because I'm ducking. I don't duck anybody that bleeds blood and breathes ill. I do. So I ain't going to run from nobody. Never have, never will. And I just felt it was important as being a, a woman and a professional athlete um, to kind of share this and kind of, this is where it's at. This is what I'm dealing with. And I've been dealing with it my entire career. I just haven't said anything. Right on. Uh, Eddie, you have any other questions for Kaylee? Um, um, no, just uh, how people, you said you're not really using social media much, but if people want to follow you and contact you other than just Googling your record and your fights and all that kind of stuff, what's the best way to do that? Well, I'm not heavy on the social media, but I do check it um, just here and there just because it's a necessary evil. But my, I still have my Facebook fan page. It's KO-Kaylee, K-A-L-I, Reese, R-E-I-S. That one's kind of PG, elder friendly. I keep, you know, everything pretty much clean on there because I know I have a lot of elders and kids that follow me. So that's like safe. Instagram, I am KO underscore NDNBXR. I'm pretty frequent on there when I'm on there. Um, again, I've been trying to keep things flowing, but I have some, I've been kind of taking a step back. That's like PG-13 sometimes are. I keep people informed on things that are going on, you know, socially, um, in the community, uh, what's going on with me. I share funny things, you know. It's, you know, it feels like what, well, it depends how I feel that day. Now, Twitter. Twitter, I am a loose cannon. I yeah. don't give a F. Yeah. I don't care on Twitter. It's um, KO Reese. <laughs> K-O-R-E-I-S-8-6. Somebody asks me, I will at them back. I don't care. It's, you know, I'm from New England, so I'm F-bombing it up on there. <laughs> Use caution. I'm just letting you know I am a loose cannon. I don't care. I don't care on Twitter. So I got three levels. I got three levels. Yeah, we like that, because I'm a loose like cannon that. all the time. You better cover your kids' ears up. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of followers from my social side. Yeah, I, <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, look, if you guys don't have any, anything else for Kaylee, we're going to wrap this interview up. Uh, Melissa, tell everybody where they, the people can find you. Sure. I'm uh, at Girl Boxing now on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Instagram is sort of my, you know, hey, everything's nice and peachy. <laughs> Twitter, I'm an animal. <laughs> and of course, my website, girlboxing.org. All right. Oh, and Eddie, tell the people where they can find you, brother. On social media, Twitter, I closed down my Instagram. They wanted to know all this personal information about me. I'm 73 years old. They're asking me if I'm a child, you know, so they can go to hell. Um, so at NHB News on Twitter, my Patreon page just put up a new another article about the never-ending heavyweight drama and i'll have some more coming up at patreon.com slash eddie goldman and my website eddiegoldman.com right on you guys follow kaylee reese on instagram but really follow her on twitter because you know she's a beast on twitter like the rest of us <laughs> yeah that's the, the best one that's Hopefully right that's idiot does it who wants to buy it doesn't ruin I'll it. Fuck but. Elon's ass. I can't stand him. All right. But in the meantime, people, I need you guys to go on Amazon. Don't rent Catch the Fair One. I need you to buy Catch the Fair One and support Kaylee Reese, support her uh, story and her journey. Kaylee, we want to wish you all the success in the world. Uh, thank you for coming on to the show. It's been a pleasure. We've been trying to get you on here for a minute, but you need to check your email more, you know. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, 
<laughs> but look, you guys can find me on Instagram at Fight Goddess Fitness. I'm on Twitter at Angry Afro Radio because I am that angry black woman. All right. So you guys stay tuned for the next episode. You can come back and see us. Hit that like button, hit the follow button, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace, love, and push-ups. Peace. Thanks, Kaylee.